Uh, good morning, Crossroads. Who's ready to dive into this series now? Let's get ready. Let's get ready. Uh, as, as encouraging as I want to be to you today, as we kick off week two of this series, I need to just start with the painful and obvious truth that this series is all about that moment that happens after you take your last breath. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but recent studies have shown that one out of one people will die. I just, you need to know that out of the gate today. So be encouraged with those words and may we be dismissed in the joy of, of the Father today. Uh, so here's the thing, not, not everybody likes to think about that. In fact, nobody likes to think about it. They actually do have studies that show when you start to think about your own mortality, your subconsciousness, it, it moves you on. You can only sit and reflect on that for about eight seconds until your body starts to push you to think about something else. Why is that? Well, no one likes to think about their own mortality. No one likes to think about that truth. I am going to take my last breath on planet Earth. I am going to step from this life into the next. No one likes to really stop and think about that. And yet it's a reality that every single one of us must face. And so last week we talked about this idea that, okay, everybody dies. We all take this step into eternity and we talk about what happens after you die. Well, here's the thing. Our physical bodies die. Everybody's like, thank you, Captain Obvious. We appreciate these insights. We're so glad we came to church today to hear that. But let's just stop and and grapple with that. You know, I officiated a, a funeral this week of just one of our dear saints. Flora Rose passed away, and I officiated her funeral. And, you know, we're at the cemetery, and it's one of those moments where, you know, nobody likes to think about this, but this is true. This is a part of the moment at the graveside ceremony that, that you will experience with loved ones and family members throughout your lifetime. There's this reality when we're standing by the gravesite where we say, hey, it's from the dust of the earth that man was formed and it's to the dust that we return. And so we say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. While we commit our bodies back to the earth, we commit our spirit to be with the Lord. That's the truth that we have hope for. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. That's the truth that changes everything. And I want to encourage you with those words today because the second reality that we talked about last week is that when you die, yeah, your physical body, yeah, it dies, but your physical body separates from your soul and your soul is eternal. And Jesus said in his own words, don't fear the person that can destroy your physical body. Fear the enemy. Fear the one that can destroy your soul. We are to be on guard. We are to be on, uh, to be on watch because the enemy, the devil, is on the prowl like a lion seeking whom he can devour. He's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to have any of that. I've come so you might have life and have life to the fullest. And so when we put our trust in Jesus, we have hope for eternity. And the last thing we talked about last week was this idea that we will all stand and face judgment for what we did on this earth. And at the end of the day, I think the simplest way you can boil those two, two items down is we are going to stand before God and we're going to be judged for what we did with Jesus and what we did with the gifts that he gave us. Essentially, that is what it boils down to. And so I just want to encourage you to think about the importance of Jesus in your life, the, the significance of saying yes to him. Listen, at Crossroads... At, at every opportunity that we get, every time we meet, every time our service comes to a close, we give people a chance to say yes to Jesus. That happens here in Goshen, that happens down in St. Pete, Nashville, Mishawaka. Let's welcome all of our campuses today. Everybody's joining online. We want you to have an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus because Jesus changes everything. He is the source of life and he is what gives us hope, not only for this life, but for the next. And I want you to know today that Jesus has done everything he can to allow you the chance to be welcomed and invited to this eternal 
heaven, this eternal party, this eternity that is spent with him. He has done everything to approach mankind. God became man, not to be a king, not to be a ruler, not to show how powerful he was, but to lay himself down on the cross to pay the price that we could not pay for our sin. He's done what we couldn't. And he's done that so that every single person can have that invitation to eternal life. And so today as we we turn the corner, I want to encourage you to think about this statement. What you believe about eternity, it determines how you live today. I mean, you can't shake that. What do I do with Jesus? I need, if if I believe that my eternal destiny is, is either in heaven with God or in hell separated from God, then what I do with Jesus matters. Secondly, what I do with the gifts that God gave me, how I invested this time on planet earth, it's significant. It matters. What am I doing with Jesus? And and how does that impact the way that I live today? Because what you believe about eternity, it determines how you live today. So here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing about our culture that we live in. Uh, In the United States of America, this is interesting. There's some great stats here. I want to make sure I get these right. 72% of Americans believe in heaven. I mean, that's a pretty significant amount of people. 72% of us, we believe that there is heaven, right? Now, here's the thing. Only 40% believe that those who reject Jesus spend eternity in hell. That's a big drop-off, right? Like, oh, everybody loves and embraces the idea of heaven, but not as many people embrace the reality and the presence of hell. And that if I reject Jesus, that's that's an eternal destiny for me. Nobody likes to think about that. So when asked, do you think you're going to heaven or hell, this is, this is amazing. Half of 1% believe they are personally going to hell. One half of 1%. And I tell you, that'd be pretty amazing. I, I would love to think 99.5% of people in the world were all going to heaven. That actually would be amazing. I mean, honestly, that's the mission that I have. I'm, I'm going to connect people with Jesus. I'm doing everything I can to help connect people with Jesus. And that's what we're on this mission together. We're all about inviting people to a changed life. That's who we are and what we are about here at Crossroads. But the reality is we're not as good as we think we are. And I think that in our minds, even as followers of Christ, we can kind of fall into this trap that, oh man, we we focus on heaven and the eternal reward and this destiny where I get to spend eternity with Jesus, and I'm focusing on heaven, and that's fantastic. And I, I forget the reality of hell. I forget the seriousness of what it means to reject Jesus. And I want to encourage you today to think in these terms, because what you choose to accept about the reality of hell... Man, if if you reject that premise, if you don't accept the reality of hell, you will never appreciate the glory of the gospel. Can we just stop and consider that for a moment? Because nobody argues the fact that God became man. Jesus came to planet Earth, and his mission was to seek and to save those who were lost. That's, That's you and that's me. And he did so by paying the ultimate price. John 3, 16, an incredible verse. Pretend like you're hearing this for the first time. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's an ultimate sacrifice. Why did he do that? So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, Jesus paid an extraordinary price so that we could have this gift of eternal life, this invitation that's available to everyone. But here's the thing, if we don't accept the reality of hell, of of eternal judgment, of that punishment, then we really do, We, we, we don't fully appreciate the glory of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. 
And so as we talk about our eternal destiny today, know this, this is an uncomfortable subject, right? Because today we're talking about the horror of hell. I mean, we're talking about the reality of hell as it exists as, as an eternal place of judgment for those who reject Jesus. And listen, as a pastor, I'm just going to be honest with you, me personally, Tim Fisher, being honest with you, it would be great to not to have to preach sermons like this. Man, it would be amazing if I just said, oh, you know what? Only half of 1% think that that's their eternal judgment. I think we're good. 99.5% success rate, we did it. This is great. But the reality is, man, we're surrounded by people who are desperate for the hope of Jesus. And when we don't accept the reality of hell, we don't fully appreciate the glory of what Jesus has done for us. And I think it's really good for us to pause sometimes and reflect on the reality of hell because it helps us refocus on the glory of heaven, the glory of Jesus, who he is, the love that he has for us. And I think when we approach this subject with a good understanding of who God is and the love that he has for us, it helps us to walk away with a renewed sense of urgency a renewed sense of focus, realizing that it is our mission to connect people to the hope that we have in Jesus. And that is a gift that Jesus offers every single person on planet Earth. And I hope that you'll lean in with me for these next few moments as we talk about hell. I mean, what is hell? Some would say it's, you know, a three-hour sermon. I don't know. We'll see how this all plays out today. Uh, See if we can make that reality come true. Uh, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Uh, Know this, Jesus spoke about hell almost more than any other subject. He talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven. He talked a lot about faith and salvation. He talked a lot about money. And then he talked about hell. He talked about hell over 60 times. It's recorded in the gospel. So this is a subject that actually Jesus, you don't really think about it very often, but he talked about this a lot. This was important to him. He needed people to understand, hey, I'm here for a reason. I'm here to save you from something that is awful, an eternity that is separated from the goodness of God. And he came to seek and to save us, those who were lost, so that we could experience this eternal life. And what he says about about it is very interesting. I want to start in Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. This is honestly a terrifying passage of scripture. Because what Jesus is pointing out is, you know, we're not really as good as we think we are. It's really, really important that that we put our trust in Jesus, that we choose to follow him, that the attitude of my life is that every day when when Jesus speaks to me, when he teaches me something in his word, when the Holy Spirit convicts me, that, that my answer is always yes. When Jesus asks me to step out of my comfort zone and follow him, the answer is yes. When Jesus asks me to to lay down something in my life that's a barrier between me and my relationship with him, my answer has to be yes. That's the life that he's ultimately calling us to. I'm always saying yes to Jesus. That's the narrow road. That's the road that Jesus is calling each and every one of us to to follow. And that's the road that leads to eternal life. And and here's the thing. The devil, I, I, I believe this with all my heart, the devil is, is trying to, he's trying to convince us to not take this idea of hell seriously. He's trying to, to, you know, confuse us and trick us into thinking that, oh, this is something for someone else. This is not for me. This is a topic that 
yeah, okay, hell's out there, but only half of 1% of people are going to experience that. I can keep living this comfortable life that I'm living, and I'm going to be fine. I think that's the role that the devil is playing right now in our culture. We don't take this topic seriously. It's okay to keep living how I'm doing. I'm just going to continue to rationalize and justify what I'm doing because that's for someone else. And I just want to encourage you today, man, you have to stay focused on Jesus. Make sure that you've put your trust in him. Make sure you're living the life that he's calling you to. Don't, don't leave anything to question. What an amazing gift it is that when, that when we say yes to Jesus, he is the one who forgives us. He is the one who sets us free. I can't do that on my own. God forgives me. He sets me free. But it's on me to follow Jesus. It's on me to, to say yes to him and embrace this life that he has called me to. So when I stand before God and he says, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? That the answers that I give can lead to that response where he says, welcome to my kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, that's, that's the goal for all of us to experience one minute after we die. But the devil's trying to convince you to not take this seriously. So let's talk about it for a second. Why does hell exist? Number one, hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Uh, I think we're also convinced in our culture that Satan is just uh, this little guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork that runs around. It's like, wee -hee -hee, wee -hee. <laughs> And somehow we belittle like this image of the devil, right? But think about this. He is actually the embodiment of all evil. He is the source of all addiction, abuse, fear, pain, and shame. That's not something to be trifled with. And in scripture, here's the... The adjectives that describe the devil, he is the adversary, the enemy, the tempter, the wicked one, thief, the father of lies, the prince of darkness. Again, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what he's going after is, is your soul. We can't take that lightly. We've got to take this whole prospect of, of our eternal existence. We've got to take this seriously, not only for ourselves, but for those that God has placed in our circle of influence, because we are to be a light that shines in the darkness. Our lives are to be lived in a way that we are a light that draws people to Jesus. They see him moving in us and through us, and they're drawn to that. Because you guys, there is something to be said about living a life that is filled with the hope that we have in Jesus and a life that has no hope. Those are two very different realities. And I'm telling you right now, people today are more, more desperate than ever for this hope that we have in Jesus. And I got to encourage you today, Crossroads, make sure now more than ever you're letting your light shine, that you're living intentionally, looking around you with, with eyes like Jesus saying, who in my life is desperate for the hope of Jesus? Who is desperate for an invitation to a changed life? Because that's who we've been called to serve. We, are, we, are, we have been told, told to go make disciples in all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all the commands that I have given you. That's the command, the great commission that Jesus has given each and every one of us today. We have to lean into that. We have to take that seriously. So why does hell exist? It exists to deal righteously with Satan. Know that at the beginning of time, Satan used to be an angel, Lucifer, and he fell. In his own pride, he considered himself to be more powerful and more amazing than God himself, and he tried to take over. He led a rebellion, and it says in Scripture that when he fell, he took a third of all of the angels with him. That, that is who the devil is. That is who demons are. When you talk about the spiritual world, that's essentially what we're talking about. And so hell is created for the judgment of Satan and all of those angels that followed him, the, the devil and his demons. That is what hell is originally created for. And then what happens? God creates Adam and Eve. He creates this world that's, that's good 
We've been created in his image. There's a world with, with no sin. There's no shame. There's no brokenness. There's no pain. There's no death. There's no suffering. And what happens? We break the one rule that God gives us. Like, you had one job, right? And, and Adam and Eve, they choose to break this rule, this one thing that God had told them not to do. And, and because of that, our relationship with the holy God was broken. Because make no mistake about God, he is holy. There is no one like him. In scripture, whenever you encounter the power and the presence of God, all of these powerful beings that you see in the heavenly realms, when they enter into the presence of God, the only thing that they can do when they enter into the presence and the glory and the holiness of God, all they can do is fall on their face and worship him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is the eternal God. He is the creator God. There is no one like him. And in the holiness of God, sin cannot be present. Just make no mistake. Like we, we laugh, we rationalize. Oh, God, yeah, God doesn't like my sin. I know. But it'll be okay. He loves me. I'm his favorite. I'm good. And we try to wink that away. But in the holiness of God, sin cannot be in the presence of the holiness of God. And so if God is holy, he also has to be just. And we don't like to talk about that. But in the holiness of God, he has to be just. And what, what does he do with sin? It cannot be in his presence. He has to separate that. He has to cast that away. And so sin entered into our world. It broke our relationship with God. And because of that, we experience all of the brokenness, the, the suffering, the sin, and the shame. That, that's on us. Sometimes we can blame God. Oh, God, why did you do this? Well, it's on us. We, we, we chose this path. We're the ones who broke his perfect creation. And we're the ones that have to live with the fallout and the consequences. And yet, despite that, despite the brokenness, that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus says, no, I'm not okay with this. I'm going to pay the price that you can't pay so that that relationship can be restored. So that you can all have an invitation to eternal life. That we can still do this. You can live this life that you were created for. That's the love that God has for us. Don't, don't lose sight of that in the middle of the suffering, in the middle of the pain, don't lose sight of this, of this God who loves you with an extravagant love. When we talk about hell, it's hard to wrap our minds around it, but it, it was originally created for the devil. Uh, it says in Revelation 20, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tor tormented day and night forever and ever. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible picture of a terrible place it's this eternal torment of separation from God. God is holy, and because God is holy, he also has to be just. And so here's the thing. Hell exists also for God to deal righteously with, with unbelievers. And this is where it gets difficult. Because if we're just being honest, when we're grappling with this topic, what's one of the number one reasons that people reject Jesus, reject Christianity, reject what we believe to be true? Well, they say this. They say, well, how could a loving God send someone who is good to hell? How, how could that possibly happen? And I want to encourage you to think about this for a second today. God has done everything he can. I'm going to say this again. To extend an invitation for us to experience eternal life. Despite us breaking that fellowship with him, allowing sin to enter into this world and, and ruin what God had created, Jesus came to pay the ultimate price so that relationship could be restored. And a lot of times we struggle. We say, well, man, there's good people around us. You know, my neighbor makes me brownies. This is great. He's a good person. 
What about him? Anybody have any neighbors that make brownies? I had a neighbor who offered me brownies once that I realized I can't eat those brownies. Those brownies have things in them I can't eat. He did not know I was a pastor at the time. He, he does now, and that was, a funny, that was a funny conversation. We had a good laugh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's this idea that people are good, right? Like, it's okay. Like, people are good. How could God send this good person to hell? I want to approach that from two different angles. Let's think about this for a second. I think the same people that argue for, you know, God allowing a good person to make it, even though they deny Jesus, I think those same people would really struggle in life if something bad happened to them and no justice was served. Because remember, God is holy, and because God is holy, he, he must be just, because he can't allow evil or wickedness into his presence. It's just not who he is. It's not his nature. And if you reject the one thing that can make you holy in Jesus— you are separating yourself from the presence of God. I mean, there's this concept that the prison cell that is hell is a cell that is locked from the inside. Because the only way that, that you get yourself to hell is by rejecting this free invitation that Jesus has given every single one of us. And as painful as that is to acknowledge, I think we have to acknowledge that, man, God does everything he can to reveal himself to every single one of us. I believe that every, every single person has a chance to respond to the grace and the love of Jesus. Man, God, God reveals himself to us in so many different ways. He reveals himself to us in his word. He reveals himself to us through his creation. He reveals himself to us through his Holy Spirit. Get this, he reveals himself to people through you. You are the light of the world. You, your life can point people to Jesus. I mean, consider the ramifications of that. And so when you consider this idea of hell, man, God has done everything in his power. He's given the ultimate sacrifice so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free. And as painful as it is to acknowledge this eternal separation from God, and I really, I, I really believe that that is a cell that is locked from the inside. You, you, you put yourself in that situation. You rejected the hope of eternal life, this free gift, this invitation that God freely extended to you. And I believe that God's grace goes before us. I think that time and time and time again, he offers us opportunities to say yes to him. And it's on us, how are we going to respond to that? Man, this is uncomfortable, this is not easy to talk about, but man, it, it's, it's real. And we've gotta be focused on this because man, God loves us with an extravagant love. He's done everything he can to pay that price, to wipe that slate clean so that we could be holy, we could be made right in his eyes. But when we reject him, we're choosing this path, this path that leads to eternal destruction. And we've got to take that seriously. Again, the devil's going to try to make you not take this seriously. He's going to try to get you to write this out and say, ah, that's for somebody else. That's, that's not real. I encourage you to lean in this and to think about the ramifications of that. Because when you talk about this God of justice, I think all of us would agree, man, if you're, you're driving down the road and... Uh, you go to park at, uh, let's just say Walmart, you're parking your car at Walmart and you're already dreading that you have to go inside Walmart. Anybody else have that? Like, oh, I got to, oh, here we go. Uh, if you go into Walmart and you come out and you're just joyful, I mean, we're talking about hell, let's talk about Walmart as well. Um, 
you've come out of, you've come out of that experience and you're already not in a good mood because you waited in line for 40 minutes and you know, the cashier the, broke down on you four times and you, you know how it goes. Uh, you saw three fights and you know, it's crazy. So, is it just me? Okay, just me. Okay, so you walk out into the parking lot and you've parked your car out there and you realize that while you were inside, somebody just slammed into your car and it's just demolished. And you're going, somebody hit my car. Did they leave a note? They didn't leave a note. Someone needs to pay for this. Would everybody agree that would be your response? Like, I can't believe this, what's happening? Well, we all want justice, right? We all want justice when something bad happens to us. And yet, we have a hard time grappling with the idea that, man, when God is holy, he too also has to be just. I just want to encourage you today to lean into the love that Jesus has for you because he's paid a price that you could not pay so that your reality could actually be eternity with him, life to the fullest. That's the love that God has for you. Would, would you embrace that love today? Man, don't, don't write this off. It's someone else's problem. That's not really real. Man, lean into this. Because God loves you so much. And what's amazing about that, we talk about this at Crossroads from time to time. I don't care, I'm going to say it again. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You might be here today and you're coming through the doors going, man, there's no way that God loves me. Listen, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. It doesn't matter what circumstance brought you to this moment, how bad you think you've been, there's no way that God could love you. He does. He does you. His love is extravagant. And he's calling you just to say yes to him. Because God loves you, and he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to become more like him. And that's the journey that we're all on together. Man, embrace that love that God has for you. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, and this is sobering, it says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to say this again. As a pastor, this is no fun. This is, I, I wish I didn't have to talk about this, but it's really important that we do. This is no fun, but if you don't accept the reality of hell, you will never fully appreciate the glory of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. And I encourage you to lean into that, to embrace that today, to be thinking about what God has done for you, but also to be thinking about who in your life is desperate for the hope of Jesus, because we can't, we can't encounter these kinds of thoughts, these kinds of realities, and leave unchanged. If there's someone in your life who is desperate for the hope of Jesus, man, do, do your absolute best to let your light shine in, in their darkness to point them to the love that Jesus has for them and to extend an invitation for them to receive this eternal life. That's what we're here for. That, that's our mission. Uh, Jesus spoke about this all the time. Again, it was one of the most talked about topics of Jesus while he was on planet Earth. And in Luke 16, Here's a story that he tells. It's about the rich man and Lazarus. And you may be familiar with this, but listen to this story. It, it, it has merit. Jesus says this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. I mean, if you were, if you were living the life in that culture and you had purple clothing, this sounds ridiculous, but that was as good as it gets. That's your Gucci. That's your Prada. That's, I don't know, what, Carhartt? That's your, what's, what's the thing? I, I have no, what's the thing? I don't even know. I was accused of wearing a sweatshirt that was a Kanye West sweatshirt that cost hundreds of dollars. This is not one of those sweatshirts, but maybe it's a Kanye. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we're trying. I'm, I'm in my 40s. I have no idea what's in style anymore. So we'll just stick with Gucci and Prada. That's what he was wearing. He's got it, he's got it made. This guy is, is royalty. I mean, he, he's up there. He's wealthy. 
And so he's living this life of luxury every day. And it says, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. I mean, what Jesus is creating here in this story is two completely different ways of life, two completely different ends of the spectrum, right? One is living this life of extravagant wealth. The other one is covered with sores and begging for crumbs. Like, you can't have two different existences than that. And what's interesting is it says, he's, he's longing to eat from what fell from the rich man's table. The wealthy man wasn't doing anything wrong in Jesus' story here. Let's, let's make that point. He wasn't actually doing anything wrong. He just wasn't doing anything. And that's actually more sobering. It's the trap of apathy. Like, I just don't care. That's a dangerous place to be. And again, the devil tries to get us to not take this stuff seriously. I think that's what Jesus is pointing out here. He wasn't doing anything. Every day he passed by this guy who's desperate for some sort of help, and he just walked right on by, completely apathetic. He's completely focused on himself, his own life, this life of luxury that he has grown accustomed to. It says in verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, a place of, that's another word for the paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. The tables have turned. I, my favorite phrase, how the turntables, that's whatever, it is what it is. It... I had a late laugh there. I appreciate that. This is good. Uh, he looked up and saw Abraham Freud with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. I mean, this is a place of torment. This is not a place you want to be. Like people are like, oh, if I'm going to hell, I'm going with all my friends. It's going to be a wild party. Not really. Not really. This is terrible. This is a terrible situation to be in. And it's interesting because it goes on. I just want to continue on in Luke 16. It says, he answered. And this is after he has a little conversation with Abraham. He's like, hey, I can't do that. There's, there's a chasm between us. There, there's no way for me to get from, from here to there. There's no way for you to get from, from there to here. We're, we're separated, my man. Yeah, it's not possible. I, I can't help you even if I wanted to. If, I, I can't. I can't get there. And so in response to that, the rich man answers in Luke 16, 27. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. I mean, what you see here is, is desperation. It's interesting here because there's not really a complaint of injustice. There's just this complaint of agony. There's this complaint of what about those that have been left behind? They, they can't end up here. They still have a chance to turn, turn to Jesus to do what's right. I'm stuck here. And, and you see a, a picture of just, of clear agony, of torment, of, of knowing that he has chosen the wrong path and has the wrong eternal destiny. It's just a terrifying premise. And, and there's four lessons that we learn from the other side here. The rich man, fully conscious and aware. I mean, it, that's terrifying to consider, right? My eternal destiny, separate from God, I am fully conscious, fully aware of, of where I am and why I'm here. The rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. There was no way to change it. He was in one place, everyone else was somewhere else, and there was no way to get from here to there. It's, it's done. It's fixed. The rich man knew that his suffering was just. Again, he's complaining about the pain, not the injustice. 
Somehow he has come to terms with the reality of, oh, I, I didn't accept the invitation that was given me. I, I, I did not live the life that God called me to. He, he's come to grips with that. And finally, you see, the rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. That's incredible, right? And suddenly, it's not even about him anymore. He's accepted his fate. Now he's saying, God, please help my brothers. They still have a chance. Don't let them end up here. I mean, this is, it's agonizing. It, it's a terrible, eternal destiny. And it's something that we don't want anyone to experience. And I want to just encourage you with this thought today as we come to a close. I, what you believe about eternity, it determines how you live today. The devil's going to do everything he can to try to get you to not take this seriously, to just continue living the comfortable life that you've been living, to just kind of wink at the, the ways of the world and say, I'm all right, I'm going to be fine. But man, this stuff separates us from God. And if you haven't said yes to Jesus... That's, that's the most important decision that you will ever make. Because he loves you with an extravagant love and he has done everything possible so that you won't have to experience eternity separated from him. I ask you today to lean in to who God is and the love that he has for you. Can we just walk through these verses and, and kind of read through these like we've never even read them before? Just listen to these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What a beautiful, beautiful statement that that is. That's an invitation that is available to everyone. Think about this, in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My sin, the part of me that is evil, that is wicked, the punishment for that, what I deserve is death. But God in his love, he gives me a gift and that gift is eternal life. That's what God does for me. That's what Jesus has done for you. Don't ever forget that. In Romans 5, 8, 9, one of my favorite verses. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were far, far from him. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. That's what he is inviting us to. That is the hope of eternal life. And I want to close with this idea, this, this concept, because I think it's just so incredibly true. If you don't accept the reality of hell, difficult to consider, nobody likes to think about what we've been talking about. But if you don't accept the reality of hell, you will never fully appreciate the glory of the gospel, the incredible love that God has shown us. And so I just invite you today to make sure your relationship with Jesus is up to date. Make sure that you're focused on living the life that he's calling you to, that you are saying yes to Jesus. And if for the very first time you need to make that decision and accept that invitation to eternal life, to a changed life, man, I invite you to say this prayer with us, to take that first step in your relationship with Jesus and say yes to him today. Would you stand with me? Wherever you're at today, would you stand with me in this moment? And I just ask, will you say yes to Jesus? If you need to pray this prayer for the first time, join us. Join all of us. Together, we're going to say this prayer. Jesus, I need you. 
I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. And can we give him the praise and the glory because he is worthy of that praise and that glory today. He loves you with an extravagant love and he invites you to experience eternal life. Listen to me. If you've said that prayer today for the first time, you said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to come up after the service. I believe I have Michelle right here. It's Stu over here. Stu's waving. They're waving their hands. Listen, we want to help you take your first steps with Jesus. We have a Bible we want to give you. We, we want to meet you, help walk with you because the devil is not going to like this decision that you made today. He's going to get you to think, oh, that was just a weird moment. Uh, you were thinking about football. You got distracted. That didn't happen. Uh, but this is real. This changes the course of your eternal destiny. And we want to celebrate that with you. So please, when this service is over, come talk to Michelle. Come talk to Stu. We want to give you a Bible and celebrate what God has done in your life today. You guys, we serve an amazing God who loves us with an extravagant love. I would just ask that we close together, just giving him the praise and glory and just thanking him for all that he has done for us. And then just take a moment together before we leave to worship him, who he is, because he is holy. There is no one like our God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me as we close in prayer together? Jesus, we thank you today for who you are, for the incredible and extravagant love that you have for us. It is a love like no other. And we are just so thankful for this gift that you offer us, this gift of eternal life. And I just ask God that you would help us to walk on this path that you have called us to. My prayer today is that God, our journey begins by saying yes to you, Jesus, but that together as a, as a group, as a church family, God, that we would just continue saying yes to you every single moment of every single day. That our lights would shine for you. That the people in our lives who are desperate for the hope that we have in you would, would see you moving in us and through us, God, that we would have opportunities to invite people to a changed life, to, to point them toward you. So God, as, as we worship you, as we sing your praises and, and call you holy, God, may you imprint on our hearts today the people in our minds, the people in our lives who are desperate to know you. And God, may we be intentional about being, being a light that shines in that darkness and points them toward you. God, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen.